you are an entrepreneur, a professional, a speaker, or a coach, and although you've come a long way, it's time for you to take it to the next level. We've got you. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. We'll help you use authority and influencer marketing to build your business stronger and faster by publishing a book. You'll hear from guests that are thought leaders in sales, marketing, networking, communication, social media, promotion, and business leadership. Let's do it. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. And now your host, the extraordinary word ninja, Kim Thompson Pinder. Welcome to the Author to Authority podcast. And today, if you've ever wondered, first of all, if you can sell high ticket items and actually work with less people and make more money than today's episode for you. But if you can do it without being manipulative, aggressive, feeling salesy. Well, you definitely want to listen to today's episode. I want to welcome Chandler Walker to the show. He started his entrepreneurial journey after graduating from the University of Nevada, Reno, with a degree in biochemistry and foregoing a medical pathway to pursue a brick and mortar wellness facility. He then pivoted to an online health practice a year before the COVID lockdowns. That was a really smart move. And after scaling both businesses to the seven-figure level and doing three to 4,000 sales consultations, Chandler was frustrated with the way sales were taught. He was tired of the old-school objection handling, aggressive tactics, and salesy attitude taught by most sales trainers. So he looked back at what he was doing, combed through his notes, and created Compassion Conversations. Welcome to the show, Chandler. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to everybody about how you can actually sell without feeling like a sleazeball, making people feel horrible about themselves and getting a massive amount of refund requests. Love it. So I think you just kind of answered the first question I was going to ask you is, can you sell high ticket items without being aggressive, manipulative and salesy? Yeah, of course. And I think this the problem with the industry, especially the quote unquote coaching industry, is people are like, well, if they cry, they buy. You have to stab them with the knife. You have to not only stick them with it, but you have to twist it too. And you have to make sure they leave just a ball of tears and then they'll buy. And then you're in the greatest position ever. But the problem with that is, and that mindset is, when you do sell people in that way, their emotional brain gets fried. So they're like, oh, I have to do this. I hate myself. I hate my life. You're right. I suck. You're, you're handsome. I'm not good looking. Just take my money. <laughs> but we ultimately want to look at is it's like once the logical brain steps in, they're like, hold on, you're not that handsome maybe I'm not that dumb. I want my money back. And then you get a refund request. So these old school tactics put us in a place to where we aren't able to actually sell effectively and keep the money that we actually are getting for our services. You are so right. So right. I remember when I first got into sales and it was funny, there was an ad, you know, you want, you need to make money now, you know, come to this spot, we'll teach you how to sell. And so I went, I mean, I was in my I don't know, late teens, early twenties, I guess. And so I went to this thing and, you know, they did this presentation. And then if you were still interested, you went out with one of their sales trainers. Well, all the tactics they were teaching, first of all, I didn't really believe in the product, which should have been a huge warning sign right there. But then they, they wanted everyone to be manipulative. They wanted them to lie. And I don't, that's not me. So I said, you know, I'm sorry, this is not for me. And they took me to an area of 
of Toronto, which is the biggest city in Canada. I did not know. I mean, I knew a lot of Toronto, but I didn't know this area of Toronto. And the guy wouldn't bring me back. He left me. I had to figure out how to get home. I didn't really have any money on me. The reason I went to this thing is because I didn't really have any money. So it's not like I could take a taxi. There wasn't a lot of, you know, buses and subways out in that part of Toronto. I don't remember how I got home. I think I hitchhiked a bit, which was probably one of the scariest experiences of my life. But after that, I was like, I don't know if I want to sell. And yet I had this entrepreneur in me that just had to come out. And I'm, I'm so thankful that years later, I was able to work with someone who taught me how to sell in a way that was authentic to me. Yeah. And that's exactly what you want. I think the biggest problem with the industry is everybody's talking about push, 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 push. And for most of us, especially in the entrepreneurship world and his coaching world, we like people. We don't want to hurt people. We're weird thing about what we're doing is we're actually here to help people. And that was one of my biggest mindset shifts that I had when I first started. I recognized I originally opened up a brick and mortar wellness facility. And I felt like the way sales were taught, I was trying to help people become better, but I was manipulating them to get there in order to get them to give me their money. And so it was this, this shock that I couldn't get past. And that's ultimately what forced me to build into this, this philosophy of compassion conversations. I love it. I love it. Chandler, tell me a, a little bit more about your story. So the one thing I'm really curious about, because, I mean, your timing was impeccable, was what made you switch to online in 2019? Yeah, so I'm going to write a book and talk about how I predicted the entire pandemic and I knew and sold my business. And so then it'll be a bestseller and I'll make millions speaking on stage about how I know everything about it. But in reality, what I was doing was I, we had the brick and mortar and I recognized that we had a footprint locally. But what I wanted to do was be able to expand what we're doing globally. So early on, I started to build an app. And our app was centered around seven pillars of wellness. It was mental health, social health, sleep, nutrition, fitness, habits, and wealth. And ultimately, what I figured out how to do was take all of that, put it in the app, bring about check-ins, make sure it was holding people accountable. We had coaches who were there and available. We essentially built this robust online platform. So then when the pandemic started coming around, we got the offer to sell our facility. And I already had the app running. We already had ads running. We already had people coming in the door. The online platform was more profitable than the brick and mortar itself. So it was an easy transition. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hit and I was like, wow, that was a happy accident. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Chandler, you said in your bio that you were getting tired of the way sales were taught. So talk a little bit about that and, and you know, what led you to now teaching others how to sell through compassion conversations? Yeah. So when I was going through sales, what I was realizing was the way sales are taught is it's this horrible thing where it's manipulate people. If they cry, they buy, you have to get through objections. The call doesn't start till the objections, all this stuff. And so I was trying to get better at sales in my own facility because our, our facility originally was a higher in, higher ticket facility. Just for someone to come in and work with us, it was anywhere from like $1,000 to $5,000 plus. Mm -hmm. And so we had to learn how to sell that in a wellness environment. And so as I was going through this training, it kind of frustrated me. I just thought to myself, I can't sell this way. It doesn't make sense. And in college, I had studied biochemistry and then I also created built a friend who was a doctor in clinical psychology. I gained a mentor. And this person taught me sort of cognitive behavior therapy, the efficacy behind cognitive behavior therapy, acceptance therapy, trauma and recovery, and all of these psychotherapeutic modalities. And so once I started recognizing these modalities existed, I started recognizing that these conversational pieces and these patterns and these thought 
bubbles or these thought ideas could actually be transferred to a sales process. So you're no, not, no longer having a conversation about why someone should buy. You're having a conversation about the reasons why they haven't been able to be successful, the triggers that have manifested along the way, and ultimately what the real reason is that they failed. I love it. I love it. I love it. We are going to take just a very quick break. Audience, I've got a free giveaway for you that's really going to help you learn how to create not only books, but content that converts reader into clients, readers into clients, and will help you scale your business. One of the keys to becoming an author is hiring the right publisher. It's the difference between having a book that converts readers into clients and one that sits unused on a shelf. Check out seven questions to ask before hiring a publisher. Get it free at authortoauthority.com slash publisher. Welcome back. Chandler, I've been loving today's conversation. I want to get more into these compassion conversations. So, you know, tell me about that. What do they look like? Why are they effective? Like, I'm going to let you loose for it to just share what you've prepared for us today. Yeah, good question. So there's basically three components to compassion conversations. And compassion conversations kind of stems from when I grew up, I mother who suffered from bipolar disorder. And so I started learning early on how to speak to someone from a neutral way, not to hold their mm -hmm. words that they use against you or other people yeah. and ultimately learn that the way we think about the world is not necessarily right or wrong. And so once we can learn to do to recognize that, we can learn to check our ego, which helps immensely in the sales process. Because a lot of the time someone comes up and they say something and our ego picks up. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not right. Let me tell you why you're wrong. But ultimately, you have to recognize that you're not right. Nobody's right or wrong. Your politics and someone else's politics, they don't matter. They're all the same thing. They're all the idea yeah. you grew up with and you developed. And so when I developed compassion conversations, it was from this idea that we have to be in a position to check our ego. And so the first step in compassion conversations really is showing up without the need to make the sale. And so it's detaching from the to need to sell. And so when we talk to clients about this, a lot of the time they need money, obviously they want to make the sale, but if they show up super needy, the prospect can smell it and they run away. And so the mm -hmm. problem that is, think about this with dating. Say you get on what your favorite app, Tinder, whatever, you swipe on someone, you're like, oh, cool person. And you message them, you set up a date or whatever, and you're texting and you text them nonstop for the next five hours. You're needy. What is that person going to do? They're going to run away as fast as humanly possible because they're going to they're think you're a serial killer. Same thing with sales. What I want to do is I want to approach it in a way to where the prospect shows up to the call expecting me to push them, but I don't. And I feel like I don't need, or I'm creating the atmosphere that I don't need that sell. Then they start leaning in more and that sales, that wall of sales resistance pops down. I love it. I love it. You know, one thing you said there, and I think it's the crux of it is the fact that you're going into this conversation not trying to sell anything. Exactly. And I think it changes everything because when you go into it with an attitude of, you know, service, kindness, um, providing value, everything about you changes. Your whole body language changes. And I think subconsciously people see that when they see that you're relaxed, you're just having this enjoyable conversation. You know, your attitude is, I don't care if you buy anything from me, but if you want to work with me, I'd be happy to, you know, I think that just, it's attractive when people do that because there's no pressure. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we want. Because when people, when you think about the average consumer, they've probably been on a few sales calls, they've been to the car dealership, they 
show up to the call expecting to be pushed and prodded and poked and attacked. And so when, when they show up to the call and you're like, well, you ask questions, you tell them, we'll go over the other steps that I have. But when you go show up to the call and it's not, hey, what can I get you to do to buy today? It's, hey, let me ask some questions to see if this even makes sense for where you're at. It changes the whole dynamic. All of a sudden they drop their guard because they're like, wait, 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 I thought you were going to push me. Hold on. Why don't you want my money? Please take my money. So now it's like this reverse psychology thing that, and this happens to me. Some, this happened to me the other day. I told a guy, he was on a call with me and I told the guy, I was like, look, I don't think this is a good time for you to do this. It just doesn't make sense. I think you should do this and this and then come back. He goes, no, no, I want to buy today. I really like your sales tactic here. Ultimately it's making me want to buy more. So can I actually, I actually want to buy and I told him, no, I like, this isn't a sales tag. I'm serious. You can't buy this thing. And so it, what that does is it pushes these people like, hold on, maybe this guy's not a jerk. Maybe I don't tell me what I can and can't do. And they want to give you their money. <laughs> but you know what the funny thing is, is when you, when you truly do these things from the heart and you're saying no to the person, like you said, you realize this person wasn't ready yet. And, you know, from, from a, a client, you know, customer standpoint, it's one of the best things that you can do for them sometimes is not take their money because they're not ready. They're not going to have an enjoyable experience. They're not going to achieve the goals that they want. They're just, you know, they're not ready. And like you said, when you do that, all of a sudden it's like, wait, I'm not good enough. I'm not ready. I'm going to show you I'm good enough. Yes, I can do it. But I think, you know, you have to not give into that temptation and and you really do them a disservice if you take their money. Yeah, exactly. And that's how refund requests manifest. Part of the sales process is interviewing a prospect to see if they're going to be successful in your program. It's not just taking their money and hoping and praying they're going to be successful down the road at some point. And so that's what we have to recognize. It's you're not only just trying to sell someone your service, you're trying to interview them to see if they're going to be a good fit to be a success in your service. And I think we forget that a lot, especially when you look at the way a lot of the gurus operate in the high ticket industry. It's not about success. It's about sell as much as humanly possible, take everybody's money, no refunds. And then hopefully at some point they'll be successful. But if they're not, just blame them. It's their fault. It's their mindset. Yeah. And no refunds. <laughs> exactly. It's your mindset. Your mindset's broken. So you need to really focus on that. It's not our program. We did nothing wrong, but you suck. And that's what we need to change about the industry too. I so agree. I so agree. Chandler, you said you had, there was more steps to having these compassion conversations. I would love for you to go into that a bit deeper. Yeah. So the second step that we look at is recognizing that the way we communicate is really important with people. They have to feel respected, heard, and understood. And so the concept I have for this is what we call level five listening. And when we think about the levels of listening, level one is basically ignoring, like you're talking and I'm off over here, just I'm playing in my garage. I'm not listening to you at all. I could care less what you're saying. Number two is when I'm kind of pretending to listen. And so what that means is I'm sitting here, you're talking and I'm like, I'm on my phone, you're saying words and I'm like, yeah, huh, whatever. Yep, that's true. Yeah, okay. And then you say, ask a question I actually have to answer. And I go, wait, well, huh, could you repeat that? So that's pretending to listen. So level three is where I'm listening, but the only intent I have is to respond. A good example of this is like a political situation. So someone says, Democrats suck and you're conservative and you're only, the only thing you want to do in the history of the world is tell them, no, they don't because of this and that and this, and you don't know anything and you're dumb. And so that's the idea. Unfortunately, a lot of people end up in this mindset while listening. Someone says something you don't agree with. The only thing you're doing is listening to respond and tell them that they're wrong. When in reality, nobody's wrong. Nobody cares. Everybody has their own model of the world. Learn from people. But then level four is where you're listening and you're going back and forth, but you're still kind of in your own head. So someone says something and you're responding based off of how you feel. 
that's good, but it's not good enough because you're not stepping into the mindset of the other person. You can't design and interpret their model of the world. So then we look at level five, what level five listening is, it's empathetic listening. And so when someone says something, my intent is to step inside their world, understand where that thought came from, to understand why that thought came from here, where it came from, to understand the past and how things built up to where they are today. Because then I understand the world from a deeper perspective than they even understand it. And they'll believe that I can actually help them because I'm speaking. You'll get words like, how are you living in my head? How are you saying the things I'm thinking? And reality is because you said, for example, like weight loss, someone says, well, I just want to lose weight. Okay, that's that's cool. A lot of people want to lose weight, but tell me a little bit more about why. Like, why, why, why would that be, even be important? And so you're working deeper and deeper and deeper to find the ultimate solution. A lot of people in the weight loss example think it's weight loss, but it could be a pattern of overeating. It could be a pattern of emotional eating. It could be a pattern of issues that were created when they were a child from abuse. You don't know until you recognize those things. And so to sell someone weight loss or a diet when they have all these traumatic issues going on is to do them a disservice because guess what? You're going to be diet number 74 they've tried and failed with. You know what? I couldn't agree with you more. And, uh, It's amazing what happens when you actually listen and you ask questions and you go deeper than the surface. I know sometimes in book publishing, you know, I'm I'm talking to people about writing their books and, you know, they think that the book is going to be about this, but when we really start to look at it and we start to look at their client and we start to look at who's going to be reading this book, we realize that the problem isn't this, it's actually something else. And if you can deep dive on that problem in the book, you're actually going to get better results. So I just love it. I love it. Do you got some more for us there, Chandler? Yeah. Last pillar here that we look at when we're trying to sell people is what I call the art of the challenging leader. So a lot of the time in sales, there's no leadership. Sales that's buy my thing, push, push, push. But what we really need to do is we need to build that leadership that builds a sort of mindset shift when someone's in the conversation. So when we talk about that, often it's, let's take spousing, for example, in like the weight loss example I used a minute ago. When you look at someone, when they come on and they have a spouse, the typical sales response is bring your spouse on the call so you can both make a decision together. If you can't make a decision without your spouse, you're a horrible person, blah, blah, blah. And you make people feel horrible about it. But what you really want to think about is if this person has a spouse and they failed multiple times, Who's supposed to be supportive to help them succeed in that relationship? Spouse. And so we want to talk about is, okay, well, you said a minute ago you have, you have a significant other. Well, walk me through what happens when you do a new diet. Is your, is your spouse aware? Are they oblivious? Are they bringing home Taco Bell? Like what happens in that environment? Oh, they, just, they, they don't pay attention. They just do their own thing. Oh, gotcha. Well, that's a, that's a bit of a concern. And then magical moment. Why is that a concern? Well, your spouse is pretty supportive, right, of you? Would you say they're the most supportive person in your life? Well, yeah, of course. So. If this is really important to you and it's harming you, why in the world wouldn't the most supportive person be paying attention? I don't know if I can even help you if that person isn't in your corner. So that's challenging them. I'm not telling them buy my thing and bring your spouse on the call. I'm telling them there's no way I can help you because you don't have the most supportive person in your life in your corner. And unless that person gets their act together and helps you, there's no way you're going to be successful. So then the next question is, never thought about it that way. What, what What can I do now? What do you think I can do? And then it's a I guess you're in marital counseling at that point, but then you have to realize how that it's very important to get that person on board and you challenge them successfully as a good leader. When I say that, I don't, I'm not aggressive. I'm like, well, your spouse needs to be supportive. It's well, I mean, if your spouse isn't supportive, I don't know how this, this could be successful. I'm not using an aggressive voice. I'm not being a jerk. 
I'm just approaching it from a place of love, care, and concern. Love it, love it, love it, Chandler. I did not get a chance to ask you this question before we got on the call. So audience, you'll have to excuse me because usually I have this detail worked out ahead of time. But Chandler, are you an author? Have you written any books yet? Not yet. Okay. So we won't be doing the section I normally do where I ask every author the question, what was the good, the bad, and the ugly about writing, editing, and publishing your book? Uh, One thing that I, I liked about what you said was the fact that you know, it wasn't about trying to bring the spouse on the call to manipulate them as well so that they both wanted to hand you money. It was about truly having kindness and a caring and a compassion for the person and recognizing that if they don't have the right support systems, what you try to do with is just not going to work. And I think that's amazing attitude to have in terms of you know, being an entrepreneur who wants to change people's lives. Yeah, exactly. And I I think when you're in the sales process, you have to recognize that you're speaking with human beings. And when you're in the high ticket world, people are on that phone call with you because they failed probably five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. They failed multiple times over and over and over again. And they're on that call because there's a sort of desperation in their mind. And there's a mindset shift in there that's maybe this time will be different. And so if this time isn't different, then you just sell them on the same thing, let them have the same patterns of sabotage and failure. Don't challenge them on what's really going on. You're perpetuating the cycle. And that's why people don't trust the high ticket industry often or the high ticket world, because it's, it's this concept of, hey, buy my thing. If it doesn't work, it's your mindset. It's your fault. No refunds. Also, we don't do anything wrong ever. And so we have to make sure that we as individuals who are selling our high ticket services, we can be the stewards of change in the industry. We can do things differently and it's okay to do things differently. And if we do things differently, people recognize that. People buy from us. We, people tell us it was a great experience. People thank you for the sales call. And you change the entire dynamic of the way that this industry is perceived. Such a great thing. So Chandler, I'm going to ask you sort of a very off the cuff question. If you were to write a book, what would you want to write about? I would write a book on our original seven pillars of wellness. I think there's so much to offer in terms of wellness for both the entrepreneurial side of things, the communication side of things, sale, like everything you do stems from the way you take care of yourself. And in my, my philosophy is you don't necessarily, you don't, you have to live in your body. And if you're living in your body, you may as well take care of that thing because that thing will break down. And if that thing breaks down, it's over. Life can't go on, obviously, because you're, you're sick, dead and dying. And so if I was going to write a book, it would be the, I would call it the seven pillars, the, the seven pillars of wellness or the ultimate seven pillars of wellness or something like that. We would go through all seven pillars. We would go through the mental health components. We would go through the social health components. We would go through the sleep components, the nutrition components, the fitness components, and the wealth components. Ultimately, I think these are the most important aspects to making anybody's life actually like livable and exciting and productive. I think that would be an amazing book, Chandler. I, I'm just excited about this conversation. It has been wonderful. Chandler, what I would love for you to do at this point is you've got a couple of minutes to give us a final thought. And if people have enjoyed today's conversation and they want to find out more about having compassion conversations, how can they connect with you? Yeah. So final thought, basically this you don't have to be afraid of sales. Sales doesn't have to be a sleazy industry and you don't have to follow the latest guru who tells you to stick people with the knife and twist it. You can be your own person. You can be your own 
best friend. You don't have to be your own worst enemy. Sales doesn't have to feel icky and gross. All you have to do is step into your true character and speak to people in a way that shows love, compassion, care, and concern and show them that you're an, a leader worth following. And if you're interested in learning more about how we build high ticket sales processes, I have a, a system called the nine step framework to building compassion conversations or the nine step framework to how to sell without manipulation, aggressive mm -hmm. tactics, or feeling salesy. If you're watching this on LinkedIn or Instagram, you can just DM me and I will DM me the word sales and I'll send it over to you. If not, we'll put the link in the show notes so that people can click on it. Wonderful. Love it. I think that, you know, one of the things that I've learned is, is that first of all, let's, let's just talk about mindset for a sec. Cause you know, sometimes as entrepreneurs, we're afraid to sell high ticket service and products. You know, I've loved today's conversation because I think that you've given truly a genuine, authentic way for people to sell high ticket products and services that make a difference in people's lives. And, you know, I think it's an encouragement to every entrepreneur that they can and not feel like they're ripping people off. So if you've been listening today and you've enjoyed today's conversation, I highly recommend that you go back to episode 366. So that's going to be a long hike, almost 100 episodes back. But how to shorten the high ticket sales cycle with Craig Andrews. Now, if you're on YouTube and watching it, you'll see the thumbnail here somewhere. I'm I get my daughter to work on this, so I'm never quite sure where she places the thumbnail, but it'll be on the screen here somewhere. And if you're on your podcast app, you're going to have to scan back a bit, but I promise you that episode will help continue the conversation from today. Thank you so much, audience, for listening. It's been an amazing episode, and we will see you on the very next one. Bye now. You've, You've been, been listening, listening to, to the Author to Authority, Authority Podcast. The Extraordinary Word Ninja, Kim Thompson Pinder, has helped over 200 entrepreneurs, professionals, speakers, and coaches write and publish their books that have become incredible marketing tools for their business. And many of those have gone on to become Amazon best-selling authors and have used their books to land high-level clients and get on big stages. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit the website at www.author2authoritypodcast.com. See you next time. <laughs>